You're listening to Remote Possibilities, a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Gene Sharp, Chief Academic Officer of Apex Learning. Gene has 25 years of uh, leadership and management experience in the education and software publishing industries. Her expertise includes software design, project management, technology implementation, curriculum strategy and development, and instructional design. As Vice President of Content Development at Apex Learning, Gene oversaw the team's responsibility for creating original curriculum solutions. Prior to Apex, uh, Gene served as Vice President of Curriculum and Instruction for Advanced Path Academics, where she was responsible for overseeing curriculum design, implementation, and efficiency. And before that, Gene was at Plato Learning, which is uh, one of the companies that I've known for for many, many years as uh, developing good stuff. Uh, Among her credits are numerous award-winning educational software products published for both school and consumer markets. And Jean, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here. And uh, I I guess, you know, I I start off most of these episodes by uh, having to go back and reference the middle of March. <laughs> I, at some point, I'm hopeful that these these remote possibility episodes will talk about something other than responding to the pandemic. But uh, right now, we're still in that spot. And I have to ask you, you know, whether it was Friday the 13th or, or Pi Day, when was it that you and uh, the folks at Apex uh, realized that the situation was going to be um, disruptive, to say the least? Yeah, that's a great question. And one that, you know, candidly, all spring and summer feels a little bit like a blur to all of us right now, doesn't it? Yes, it it does. But certainly, as we thought about the the early part of March, you know, um, I think many of us, when schools just began to, to shut down for a period of time, assumed, and I will count myself among them, that they were going to take a two-week time frame to shut down. Maybe it would be three weeks if they include their spring break, and then we would be back to normal. Clearly, that was not going to happen. And it was probably the middle of March when we began to realize, and towards the end of March, when we began to realize that this was going to be something quite different. And we began to have internal conversations about what if this lasts the rest of the school year. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it has, and then some, right? <laughs> and then some, indeed. Uh, it's, it's it's a terrible thing, but we just uh, have to work through it. So let me ask you. So at, at that time, did you find that your customers were starting to reach out to you, or I mean, what was the dynamic? I mean, you, you, talk a little bit about the products and services that you provide, which would give us some context. Sure. I'll start there because it will indeed give you some context. So we serve a a wide number of schools across the country, um, and we provide both courses and tutorial solutions, as well as a virtual virtual school that we operate that's an accredited school um, for schools across the nation. So they use our content, and it is a comprehensive course catalog. Um, as well as supplemental tutorials and test readiness um, tutorials 
for credit recovery, for alternative education, for programs that meet various students' needs. So we have reached into a lot of districts. Our content is primarily middle school and high school in orientation, and so we are more at the upper end, if you will, of the K-12 market, really serving six through 12 as a primary focus. But to answer your question, you know, how did our clients respond? We have always had very deep and very strong relationships with our clients. And as we began to see that they were closing their doors, you know, quite frankly, we had to shift some thinking around a little bit too. And we realized pretty quickly that we needed to come alongside of our school, part school districts as partners and not as a vendor, because what they needed at that point was really support not someone selling them more product. So you remember, it was a time where, where administrators commented how they bombarded they were by emails and pitches and phone calls from one company to another, talking about what they could do to help them in this time frame. And candidly, what we did was step back. We saw this as, a, as an opportunity to really say, look, if you don't need us, we under, if you need us, we're here. We understand that. But if you don't, we're not going to interfere with the work that you need to do. So at this time, as you're dealing with so many dynamics from a school perspective, we believe the best way to provide support for you is to stand on the sidelines and refrain from that unintentionally distracting you from the leadership that you need to provide for your district right now. And that's the approach we took. And quite frankly, our district partners appreciated that very much. Yeah, that, and that sentiment uh, sounds very similar. I have to say through the conversations I've had that, that is a, a, there was a, a, a general consensus, at least amongst the folks I've been speaking to, uh, to take that step back. But then also to offer products and services and really turn into, ed tech companies just turned into customer support uh the customer support industry, basically. Uh, yeah, you know. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And we were similar because we started providing in the background resources and, of course, assistance for whatever the districts needed to ensure that they could provide continuity of learning. And that was our focus, right? We knew that the biggest challenge, other than some of the, the logistics in regards to meals and devices and so forth that they were taking care of locally, they needed to provide some way to have continuity of learning between where students were and what their situation was now. And that's where our focus started as well. Do you feel that um, the districts, the schools that um, you're working with um, kind of had an advantage to the fact that they already at least had their, their feet wet when it came to having some sort of online learning component to their curriculum? Yeah, I absolutely do, because I think any place where they were already engaged in online learning and had familiarity with uh, learning management systems, with digital curriculums, with expectations around how to effectively run those programs, they were at an advantage. But do remember, in many districts, that was relegated or, pr or primarily focused on a particular program or a particular group of students. So for us, in many cases, alternative education programs or credit recovery really didn't miss a beat because they were very familiar with how to use digital resources. But the general school population, in terms of the teacher in the classroom and how they used a digital curriculum to support learning, that became very apparent that, that there was not the readiness that, that we needed. Yeah, can you recall, uh 
back in the spring? Any innovations that, that you saw amongst your customers where you kind of said, well, huh, we can we can start doing that all the time now? Or any other kind of instances where folks were just really uh, pulling out the stops and, and creating new innovation? Well, one of the things we definitely saw is how teachers or how programs really began to, to uh, step up their expectations around their program in a way that formalized what their expectations were and how they were going to go about implementing. You know, one of the challenges I think that we we know from a digital learning perspective is that in many cases you can't, it's not designed to replicate what the classroom experience is. It's designed to take advantage of the technology and the learning opportunities that come with that to support student learning. So looking at, again, that flexibility of time and place and path and pace are so critical when you're thinking about using digital learning, not necessarily are they attending every day, but looking at data and really being aware of what students are doing in a digital curriculum program is critical to helping you to understand where you need to reach out to students and to re-engage them or to connect with them or to troubleshoot for them and so forth. Yeah, another thing that I, keeps coming up in, in conversations is the distinction between um, remote learning or distance learning and online learning, right? I mean, the, the what happened in the spring was just trying to get kids connected, or I mean, at least amongst those districts and schools that don't already have something going on. Yeah, in fact, um, I'm part of the Digital Learning Collaborative. I don't know if you're familiar with that organization. If you're not, I encourage you to, to check into it. But certainly, as we talked about amongst the members of the Digital Learning Collaborative, we framed the spring as emergency remote learning. It really wasn't what we would do in an online environment if we were being intentional about the way we set that up as an instructional model to support student learning. It was what we could do in the constraints that we had at the time. And that's where I think the spring became challenging for many of our districts and, and many of the schools across the country because, because of the challenge that we had with really the readiness for learning online and the time to do that, we ended up at a point, unfortunately, as a chief academic officer, you can understand me saying this, where learning didn't matter as much as it needs to. And that is where I think we, we had some challenges. Grades didn't matter. Um, the amount of work kids do didn't matter. There were waivers for tests. There were waivers for graduation requirement. And the concern that I have as we enter into the fall here is what are we going to do intentionally to ensure that we reset expectations for students and that learning will matter? Yeah, and you know, what, as you mentioned, uh, you hoped was a temporary situation has turned into a, a, um, a quasi-permanent one at, at this point and really with, uh, with no horizon. Yet, um, how many of these techniques and pivots and innovations do you think will continue once um, all the madness ceases? <laughs> that is the million dollar question, is it not? <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, you know, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind for me. One, I think that uh, it is clear that districts will have to have viable plans to have continuity of learning no matter where students are. And so the fact that we were still 
we found ourselves developing those plans in the spring while the at the beginning stages of shutdown were happening left us really behind the eight ball in terms of of preparedness and i I believe at this point, all districts will have a plan in place for continuity of learning, no matter where learning takes place. I also think that they will have to have a way to look at the, the um, how digital learning can continue to provide a resource for students, no matter where they're learning. We have some of our clients right now, some of our district partners who are using our curriculum in the fall here as what they refer to as the guaranteed and viable curriculum. So no matter what is happening in the classroom or in the home for learning, they're using our curriculum as the constant. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, let's, let's pivot a little bit and talk about the assessment end of this. You mentioned about as being chief academic officer and, and learning having stopped and waivers for tests and things like that. Um, you also didn't have a lot of state standardized testing happen, right? You didn't have SATs or ACTs taking place, and that's still a, a bit of a mess And on top of what pre-pandemic was already a mess. Um, talk a little bit about how we fix these things during the pandemic. I know I'll, I'll go on and give you a personal uh, example. My son is a junior in high school. Should he take the SAT or does it not even matter? Oh, that's a great question. I want to add to that because it's not just the college entrance test, the SAT, ACT, which by the way, a lot of colleges at this point have waived for their incoming class. They don't need to have those scores for um, this fall in particular. But we also saw it happen, Kevin, with um, with end of course exams. So many high school districts have certain courses that are considered foundational, fundamental, they're required for graduation. And while a student is taking the coursework for those courses, they're also preparing for an end of course exam that they need to pass in order to demonstrate mastery of those skills um, in a course. Algebra one is a great example of that, right? Yep. But, but the reality is that most end of course exams were were waived as well for the spring. And that seems to be a little bit of an open issue right now. I think many districts did anticipate that there would be more opportunity to return to school face-to-face -face here in the fall. That is not quite <laughs> coming to pass at this point in time. We'll see if it does a little bit later in the school year. But it remains to be seen what will happen with some of those assessments that have been part of the learning process itself for kids and whether that will be something that continues. Um, I do want to mention, though, that one of the things that we have done in anticipating testing in particular, because we have a particular concern for the learning loss, which I know many, many do at this point, and what happens when kids have been out of the classroom now for almost six months or going into six months um, without formal instruction. And so we have recently partnered with NWEA to ensure that our content can align to their measures of academic progress. And when students do, when they do take those assessments, we can actually get them to content that is going to meet them where they are and then help them fill those gaps that they need to to get to on grade level content in the most efficient way possible. Well, that's interesting. Can you go a little deeper into that? Maybe explain NWEA? Sure. So NWEA has been around for many, many years, as, as you all know, but certainly the Measures of Academic Progress is a growth test that really is designed to look at students' 
current instructional level. And so uh, it's an adaptive test. And so students uh, get questions that are more difficult as they're able to answer questions correctly and questions that are easier as they are unable to answer those questions correctly. What it gives you is a RIT score in different subtopics, both in uh, mathematics as well as two different tests in the English area, one for reading and one for language usage. And that allows a teacher to really zero in on where the student needs the most support in order to to increase their capacity to get to grade level content. Got it. Got it. But it's it's still um, is it a bubble test? <laughs> it, well, it is a it is a standardized okay. test. Okay. All right. So it's still that 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 sort of method of assessment, but your what you're Correct. the data that you're collecting is 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 more robust. Well, it, the data that we're collecting, we're not collecting the data, NWEA is, and what they have or what they get as a result of a student engaging in that assessment is they get RIT scores in subcategories for, um, for math and, and uh, English. And what we do then, NWEA then provides that data to the teacher for the teacher to support instruction. What we've done is correlate that data to content that we have to help the teacher make the connection with, I have the score from the student, what do I do with it, right? right? And here's the instruction that will support that student in their learning pathway. So it's, it's, so it's another way to, I'm sorry, it's just another way to personalize learning for students as well, because they're going to get a, uh, an individual uh, um, assignment based on their scores. Yeah, I, I think I got it. It's, 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 a, it's a diagnostic uh, that identifies uh, where they are uh, as a result of their COVID learning loss. And many, many schools use this both in this, the fall when students first come back to assess where they are, as well as again in the spring to measure learning growth. So maybe this is just another um, effect of the pandemic that is going to force personalized learning um, into places where it hadn't been before just because this is the way we've always done it or we don't have time for that uh, or, you know, this is the best way it is for our kids right now. Yeah, I, I actually think that this is an opportunity for us um, as an education community to really look at how do we individualize and personalize the learning path for students so that we meet them where they are and help them progress to where they need to go. Let me ask you, like, who should drive this initiative? I mean, it's, well, it's, it's not happening from the federal level. We won't go there. Um, it's not happening, um, and, and because of the, the, the nature of specifically the United States and the, and the way that education is so distributed amongst districts, how do we scale this? How do we make this a, 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 a momentum uh, that's a, a nationwide phenomenon? Do you know one of the pressures that I think is going to come to bear to continue to support online and personalized learning is going to come from parents and students themselves? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, but <laughs> as a parent sitting here trying to get through the day uh, with uh, two boys in, in separate rooms, and I understand my privilege that I have two separate rooms for them each to be on devices with, with pretty good Wi-Fi access. Um, you know, we're kind of in a, in a conundrum here where, where parents and students are just trying to survive, right? I mean, I, I'm hoping we can look somewhere like, I don't know if it's a uh, like a, an industry organization or, or something that can come together with 
I actually I think it's going to come from industry is, is my opinion. It's not going to come from individual school districts uh, or even individual states when you look at uh, how different it, it can be. Um, but that's just my my opinion on that. Well, and the good news there is there are already associations that are leading the way. So they've been talking about distance learning, online learning, how to be effective with it, how to really structure it in order to get the results you're looking for, how to personalize learning for students using technology for many, many years. So if you think about organizations like INACL, which is now the Aurora Institute, yeah. or organizations like the Digital Learning Collaborative, those are are, are filled with members who have been thinking about this and have already been implementing that kind of change within their school environments to the extent that they can. So I think that there are pioneers that are already out there doing this work and it's a matter of when that opportunity presents itself and I think the pandemic has definitely been a, a, a life event that has allowed us to really look at digital transformation within the context of schools. Absolutely. Let me uh, go back to Apex for a minute. How, how has this changed um, your company's strategy? Uh, a couple of things. So, you know, clearly we just talked about the learning gaps and that has definitely been a factor for us in terms of really looking at how we can support students who are going to come back to school with gaps in their learning just simply because they haven't been engaged for a while. Um, we've put in place some learning bridge programs to really look at how we how we identify um, those learning gaps and then what we can do to support them. Um, but in addition to that, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that we have seen in our work is certainly, again, the need to support the whole child. Mm. And so while we focus on academics in our development work, we also have good partners that we come alongside and that come alongside us to make sure that as a offering what we do at Apex Learning is really meeting the needs of the whole child. So one of our initiatives early um, this year, when, uh, even before the pandemic, pandemic, but really accelerated with the pandemic, was to find a good partner for social and emotional learning. Because I'm sure you've read as well, and we know this from the research, right? If we don't take care of the health and well-being and the social and emotional needs of, of students, we're not going to get to learning. I, I completely agree, and it's another general positive sentiment that I think that, that has come out of all of this from both the industry side as well as from the district administration sides is that focus on uh, empathy <laughs> for each yes. other, um, you know, where people are now asking each other how they are before you even get into anything or even, you know, school board meetings could used to be the most contentious places on earth. Um, but now when you have the Zoom meetings, it seems that um, people are taking it easy on each other a little bit more. And, and especially for the students, because this is really uh, a tough a tough situation, right? It is. It is. And quite candidly, one of the things that I see emerging in a lot of school restart plans, reopening plans, is a focus on connecting with students before we, we dive into curriculum. So it is that notion of really making sure that we're taking care of uh, students and where they are, they have a chance to talk and to process a little bit of what's occurred, that if they are struggling with anxiety or loneliness or depression or loss of hope or even grief during this time frame, that they are getting the care and the support that they need as well. 
And so we think that's very important because the academics will not, they won't be able to focus on the academics, quite frankly, if they're worried about other things. So we think that goes hand in hand when we look at academic progress and, and uh, academic success. Well, and Jean, uh, as I mentioned to you before we record, I usually try to end up with a, a, a question about asking, um, you know, how your glass can possibly be half full. But you know, during the course of this conversation, you, you seem to have a really positive uh, outlook through through all the chaos here. Um, but any other insights you might want to offer our listeners on um, you know, the possibilities to improve education um, as a result of this, uh, you know, I don't know what you call it, other than a pandemic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, one of the things I've been sharing, Kevin, is this notion of we need to be navigational leaders. So as we're navigating through this uncharted waters, and we're all doing that right now on all fronts, you have to take the skills that leaders, navigational leaders really look at. And that means that you have to make a plan to look ahead at the possibilities and then be flexible enough to to change those plans as you go. So I think it's so important that we look at the skills that we have as leaders and we look at what we can take from it. The other one that I'll share with you as a closing here as well, is I am a big fan of the notion of failing forward. Now, let me put this in context because I do think that teachers did an amazing job uh, with the conditions that they had in the spring. And this by no means is, is saying that we failed. But when we look at academic performance of kids or engagement of kids, we certainly know we can do better right? The spring is not the example that we want to hold up and say, this is what we do to support student learning. And so when we think about failing forward, there's so much that you can learn when the event or the <clears throat> the circumstances were not successful. So what is it that you want to do differently? What is it that worked well that you want to repeat? And how are the things, how are you going to look at things in a way that propels you to a better outcome the next time? And here we are in that next time. <laughs> yeah, the, the next times just keep on now. coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jean, once again, thank you so much for your time. I think that the, the conversation was, was terrific and will be quite uh, insightful for our listeners. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. And thanks to the listeners for, for tuning in here. I hope you join us for another episode of Remote Possibilities soon. <laughs>